Welcome to The Savvy Sauce, where we have practical chats for intentional living. I'm your host, Laura Duggar, and I'm so glad you're here. to an anonymous donor to Midwest Food Bank who paid the sponsorship fee in hopes of spreading awareness. Learn more about this amazing nonprofit organization at midwestfoodbank.org. Kay Waiba is my guest today, and she's going to share some of her lessons from parenting. She is full of great ideas, and we're going to hear how one idea was so impactful it actually turned into an experiment, which eventually was published in her book, Cleaning House, a mom's 12-month experiment to rid her home of youth entitlement. Here's our chat. Welcome to the Savvy Sauce, Kay. Thank you so much for having me. I just I love the Savvy Sauce and everything about it. Oh, well, thank you for that. And I just can't wait to talk about this parenting experiment that turned into a book. But first, let's go back into your childhood. What was your family of origin like? Well, you know, just I grew up in West, well, sort of West Texas. You know, Texas is so big and um, the plains go on and on. And so I lived in a relatively small city that was the big city for that part of Texas. And, you know, just kind of that regular life of lovely boredom throughout the summer where you had to go find something to do where I, I played tennis. So I'd walk to the tennis court every day and, and hang out with my friends. And, and it was just, it was very regular in so many aspects, but life in the world was going on around just like it is today. And I grew up in the seventies and there was a lot of interesting stuff. I mean, we had major inflation during that period. There was, you know, war going on when I, you know, with, with my father, even when he was a young dad, you know, we had conflicts going on with Vietnam. And so you had all kinds of things that were significant going on around us. But I think sometimes you look back, like, like even remembering that cable television came to our town when I was, I think I had to have been in grade school. And, you know, it was a small enough city where everyone was up in arms because they thought it was going to ruin everybody's life. Like you were bringing in hell into the city, you know, it was, which is it's so interesting because of all the things that we have that surround us now that could make us scared or that could make us go, this is the worst time ever to be, you know, having kids or to be growing up in. And the truth is every, every age and stage has things about it that inherently within all of them, there's nothing new under the sun. And so I think it's, I love that question because I think it's good to look back and you go so much of what you'll remember is idyllic. And in many cases, more than anything, if you're thinking back on it, you made it through it. And so I think perspective is a really powerful tool that is worth tapping into and worth finding the truth in all of it. And the truth being you made it through, the truth being that you are seen and the Lord has plans for you, no matter what time period you're in or what house you were brought up in. And now that we know a little bit about your upbringing, will you also share about your own family, both presently and the stage that you were in when you wrote the book, Cleaning House. Okay, so we have five kids, and the ages right now are 24 to 14. When I wrote the book, the oldest was 14. So, you know, 13, 14, because when you write a book, it takes about a year to do that. And 
And so that, it's interesting to think back on that. And we we have a lovely a lovely life. I mean, I, I love my kids. I was telling one of them yesterday that one of the greatest gifts I was given through all of this, and I think partly through cleaning house, is realizing that these people that walk life next to you are human beings. And I think in this world of parenting and thinking about those types of topics, it's easy to objectify a kid or a person, you know, which really is not a good thing to do. And so through letting go of a lot of that, which you objectify through performance or determining worth based on like an outcome of something or the way that you look, all kinds of things like that, that we just inherently do just being on this planet. But letting go of a lot of that allowed me to genuinely like my kids and the people I'm next to. And it is really sweet to be able to travel this interesting road of parenting where you do have to have a a sense of roles and authority, but the the amazing aspect of loving each other through it is so powerful and probably the sweetest part of having family around you. And one other thing, just about being a mom, I think it's one of the greatest gifts in a large part because it's one of the only times in your life that you, for a huge portion of your life, are serving other people and your eyes are not on yourself. And I, I'm like, I think that's the biggest gift because you don't have that in the workplace. You know, you're always thinking about what, what you have to do to get the next, you know, bonus or raise or whatever, or even to keep your job or even in school, it's always about grades. And I remember one day waking up going, this mom gig is a good thing because it forces your eyes off of yourself, which seems to always be a gift. (laughs) Yes. Like you said, what a great positive perspective. And so if I'm doing the math correctly, when you wrote this book, your children ranged in age from four to 14. Yeah. Okay. And I remember you saying that you believe kids thrive on high expectations and you became determined to parent your children as if they were inherently strong, not inherently weak. How did that epiphany launch you into this 12 month experiment with your kids? You know, it probably all started because of the experiment. And the experiment was hilarious. I've decided that most things in my life, if there's a change, it's coming off of some rotten attitude of me. You know, And I really honestly was frustrated with one of the kids. I mean, I was driving down the road and this 14-year-old next to me looked over and said, which one of these cars would I look good in? Because we were literally the meat in a luxury car sandwich. Like there was a Porsche on our right and a Lexus on the left and a Maserati in front of us, which honestly, I did not, I had heard that name before, but I didn't know what it was, but the kid did. And I was sort of like swallowing the vomit in my throat going, ew, like really? (laughs) Sitting there thinking of how many times we had gone to serve people. And I'm like, stuff doesn't make you who you are. And and so I was grossed out by that. And uh, I came home and I also had a conversation with my sister-in-law in the car going, this is so gross. Can you believe this? And her kid had acted the same way that morning, who was a young, you know, bordering a young adult. And I came home, all the dishes were out, the beds were unmade. I mean, everything. And I just was like, what's going on here? Because I had taught them how to do those things. And with five kids, it just kind of gets a life of its own, you know, and And I looked around going, gosh, they're looking to me to serve them. Like they're looking to me to do all this stuff. And I sat down on the couch and I was like, yes, they're looking to the state to serve them. And I was like, oh my gosh, that's socialism. And I'm grooming it in my house and I don't even like it, you know? (laughs) And 
And so it made me go, I, I'm done with this. Like I literally went through the house, like behind me was the kitchen. I was sitting there going, yep, they don't really know what goes on in that room. And I, the laundry room was next to it. And I was like, yeah, they think that, you know, the clothes magically appear in their doors, you know? And um, even though through the years I had shown them this stuff, I hadn't genuinely put it on their plate. And honestly, Laura, it was that. So I did it because I was mad. <laughs> you know, I was sort of like, I'm going to show them. And I sort of drew the line in the sand, which is terrible because when you do, you have to follow through. And I even, I mean, I think I regretted it the minute I was like, here's what we're going to do. But it didn't take long to realize that there really was an issue at play. And it was this issue of entitlement and entitlement tells a person really that they can't do anything, that everything has to be done for them. And that is such a cruel mentality because you're basically stealing from somebody their identity. And so the way I realized that was really on our first task because I kind of went around the house, you know, you will be cooking dinner now and you'll be, you know, doing the yard work or getting a job, all kinds of things that kind of that made up the 12 months. And it was in that very first month when, you know, just the cooking and um, there, you know, there's tips in the book of even how to make a change in your house and stuff like that, which I got from an older, wiser woman that was ahead of me in life. But the fir our first task was making dinner. And, you know, the poor youngest kid was slow on the uptake and got landed in the first dinner. And it was literally going to the grocery store with this kid who who was had, the, had even a worse attitude than I did. And I mean, just belly aching, announcing to everyone how mean his mother was, that she was <laughs> making him cook dinner. And it was so beautiful because a neighbor stopped us as we, as we were walking in. And he was like, what's going on, little man? And, um, and he was like, my mother's making me cook dinner. And he goes, well, look at, look at me. And he was holding two bags. And he was like, I'm making dinner in my house, which instantly was sort of like, well, hold on a second. You know, it took it from some some, you know, some terrible task, you know, to like, hold on a second, this man is doing that. And it completely changed his mindset right then and there. And our entire experience in the grocery store transformed from something being done to him to being done for him, which I mean, even saying that, Laura, I'm like, welcome to our life with the Lord. Mm. We feel like these things that he puts on our plate are done to us, but they're actually for us. And the kid that walked into that grocery store was different than the kid that walked out. The kid that walked out had a sense of well-being and had a sense of purpose. And it, it fed so much life into him. He was eight years old. So I'm just <laughs> telling you, an eight-year-old can't make this stuff up. You know, little kids can't fake it. And as he even made dinner that night, he had such, it was like someone had like given him an, an IV of like, I don't know, some sort of, it was like an intensity of power. Like I can do this. And, and he started to see things not as like, you know, I used to think of it like if there was a mountain off in the distance, he didn't ever see that as an obstacle. It turned from that to an opportunity. And that's where I was like, wait a second, this is significant. Our society is telling you, check your kids' homework, make sure everything's done, pave the road in front of them. It's gone from helicoptering to snow plowing. I mean, and even into their adult years. When I was writing this, I was floored at what people were telling me. Like there was an HR group 
at a large company that said that they had to deal with the parents being on the phone of their young adult person interviewing for a job, which it's like, seriously, like, has it come to that where I'd have to make sure my child was answering their interview questions? I I don't even know. I don't know where to go with that. (laughs) But I know it's out of love that we do these things. And so it's like, dare we out of love? see what they can do. Because these kids, they're amazing people. They can do so much more than they think they can do, but they can do exponentially more than we think they can do. And if we can let go of the fear and uh, be able to lean into things that take a little bit of time and sometimes some failure, what comes out on the other side, it's significant. It invites a person to be able to live in their purpose and gifting. And now a brief message from our sponsor. This sponsorship message is unique because an anonymous donor to Midwest Food Bank paid the sponsorship fee in hopes of spreading awareness. Midwest Food Bank works to alleviate hunger and poverty throughout the world by gathering food donations and distributing them to nonprofit agencies and disaster sites. Over $30 million worth of food is distributed to over 2,000 nonprofit organizations each month, over 30% of which was produce or protein. In 2020, over 186,000 family food boxes were distributed to disaster victims. Their volunteers are fundamental to the success of their organization. They collect, sort, pack, and distribute food and disaster relief donations and remind us every day that Midwest Food Bank's mission could not be achieved without them. Thanks to the generosity of donors, the valuable work of volunteers, and most importantly, the blessings of God, Midwest Food Bank shares the blessings worldwide. More than $360 million worth of food was distributed this past year. This is done from their 10 United States and two international locations. To learn more about Midwest Food Bank, to make a donation, or to see what volunteer opportunities are available, please visit them at midwestfoodbank.org. Will you now lay out the overview of your 12-month experiment to rid your home of youth entitlement? And specifically, if somebody has the book, I'm looking at the list from page 11, which, Kay, is what you've said are the top 12 things a kid should know before flying the Wyma Coop. Well, and let me, before I start, I just want to say that, like, this was my list. These were the things that I was kind of like, what do I want my kids to know? You know, what, what is it that's sort of bothering me? (laughs) And so when I went through it, I really was sort of like, in their life, what would be a good thing for them to know how to do? So here are my top 12 things, (laughs) and I put it as before flying the Wyma Coop. So how to make a bed and maintain an orderly room, how to cook and clean, how to work in the kitchen, how to do yard work. And by the way, on that one, I'm terrible. I feel for the plant that comes in this house because I kill it. So on that was the first one where I was like, you don't have to know how to do it in order to learn how to do it and teach them how to do it. And now they teach me. Then following that was how to clean a bathroom, like not organize it, but literally clean it. How to get a job outside of our home. Another was how to do laundry, which includes putting it away. How to do handyman jobs. And we had that chapter's interesting because... (laughs) 
that was the good, the bad, and the ugly, how to host a party because I am from the South and I love for people to know how to invite people over and to treat them well. So, and then how to work together, how to run errands, how to put others first through service and how to act mannerly. Okay. And so these were important things for me, for somebody else's house, you may have this down, like you totally may have the laundry down, but there may be something that's in your life, like that you go, I really want my kids to know how to do that. The yard work is such a powerful example because as your kid leaves outside your home and they have never participated in yard work, inherently in their mindset, whether you've said it or not, they think that they have to go pay someone to do their yard work. And that could go for any one of these tasks. If I don't know how to cook, then I'm just going to think that I have to get Uber Eats every day, which Uber Eats did not exist then. But it does now and it's super easy. And there is even like you're going to hit a point where it may be cheaper to do Uber than it is to go out and get a steak and learn how to cook a steak or whatever it is. But the key in all of these is inviting your kids into a process. And it doesn't matter how old they are, because, uh, you know, just looking at this list, I had a four year old at the time. He couldn't do everything, but he sure could do more than I would have thought at that age, even in, in the kitchen, because, you know, it's scary for a little kid to hold a knife. You stand next to them as they learn how to use these things. And then you walk further and further away as they know how to do it. It's like when you teach your kid to ride a bike, we don't go outside these days and see a mom running alongside their young adult son as he rides his bike. You know, that would be embarrassing. And the reason why we don't is because we did that when they were little, you run alongside them, you help them sit on it, you put training wheels on it, and then the training wheels come off and you, you don't run alongside them because they can ride and think of the freedom they got when they learned how to ride the bike. That is the same with each one of these tasks. And so I just encourage you, what is it that you want in your own home? For your kids to be able to leave knowing how to do so that when they're faced with these things, they don't have noise in their head because there's plenty of other stuff to fill up their minds without having to pay any attention to something that they may not know how to do that when they're little and they're faced with these things. And let me just say, it's highly likely their friends aren't doing it. They're going down these paths and it just gives them confidence and and it's free. <laughs> it's in your home. And sadly, every one of these things never end. They do not go away. We still today, you will do laundry and put it away or the dishes. You know, it just is a never ending, never ending joy that is a delight to share with the people next to you. Well, and Kate, let's just go a bit further with a few of these. Yeah. Which of the 12 was your favorite and your least favorite? Oh, gosh. Okay, so my favorite, the one that I that we just loved so much was the serving. And it happened to fall in December. Again, this wasn't something that I was manipulating or thinking it was going to be a book. I did not have any idea it would be a book. For some reason, I started in January, which I guess is a great place to start new things. But when we hit December, the task for December was every day, you'll do an act of service. And if at all possible, not tell and not tell the people, you know, so that it was literally serving. And it didn't have to be big things. Some of it was that we did as a family together. But a lot of it was little things that seem like they're nothing. 
uh, like throwing away the trash at lunch that everybody left out and just quietly doing it and walking on, not making any fanfare. What that did for each of the children was so, so significant. And I've even, uh, you know, I've even seen that play out recently in in the latest book that I pulled together. Just the power of what comes with doing something for somebody else is so significant. And so those absolutely are my favorites. And then if you had to choose a least favorite, even if you're grateful that you did it, which one was the most unpleasant? Uh, you know, probably the yard work. I just am terrible at it. I hope that some of my kids will really enjoy landscaping and doing beautiful things in their yard. <laughs> <laughs> but it just... um I just am not really great at it. And so, and that sounds ridiculous because it's just yard work, but you can do the things you don't like and do the things that you don't know. And so that's a great lesson in that. And now that you've taught your children those 12 skills, are there any extras that you've added since that initial experiment? You know, no. And here's why. As we went through the 12 little aspects that were the skills I wanted them to learn, I learned through that process as I started doing it, you know, it started with the cleaning the rooms and the beds and then it started and then it moved into the kitchen. And then, you know, as we added on, then we moved to yard work and then we went to the bathroom. When I was doing that, I would have them do the skill they learned before. Like, okay, now we're adding to the whole thing this. And I learned, you know, in the middle not to do that. So because it just became so much and I was starting to make it about the tasks because I think we gravitate toward that. Tell me how to do it and I'll do it. And if that, if, if it's going to be success on the other end, then I'm in, you know? And so I was sitting there going, wait a second, I'm making this all about these skills. I want to go to the heart. I don't want it to be about a task. So there was this stepping away from the task aspect. And I want to really hit that home because this isn't something like if, you know, if you do these things and your kids are going to be great. This is a heart issue that's woven within each one of these skill sets that will make absolutely they're good for you. It's sort of like, you know, in scripture, do these things so that it may go well for you. Because there are things that we can literally do that make our life a little bit better. But if I'm making my okayness centered around doing these tasks and getting it done well, or having being sure my kids can do these tasks and do it well, I've lost sight of the human being in the midst of it. And so it became much less about the task, even in the middle of doing it, and much more about the person and the heart involved along the way. And so there really haven't been things that we've added because it became so much more of a, of a lifestyle and it still is, which I find interesting now that I have our fourth going into college and, you know, our college experience has been so different just because of the pandemic. And so that these kids were equipped in not just knowing how to do it, but this mentality of, I can do it. It's like, it's so ingrained in them that even this kid, I was like, uh, have you uh, contacted your advisor? Like, do you sign up for classes? And I have no clue what he's doing because he handles it himself. And he was like, I can do this. I've got this covered, you know, (laughs) all this kind of stuff. And I'm sitting there in my head thinking of all the moving parts that come into that. And I'm just telling you, there's fear laced in that too. Well, what if he doesn't sign up? You know, there won't be the classes or, or does he even know where he's living? You know, all these kinds of things 
that are very regular and then me letting go of whatever's at the core of that that makes me have a hard time breathing and be able to lean into he does have this he knows that we're here to help him if he's stuck and then that terrible part of like and if he fails I know he'll get back up and how do I know that because I've watched it over and over and over and over and the getting back up is huge in being able to navigate life but to have a getting up experience they've had to have fallen and so that's hard and that's the greatest gift I got from doing this ridiculous experiment that I really do love (laughs) is that there were gentle falls all along the way gentle you know so what if they leave the laundry in and forget to put it in the dryer how many times have we done that it's a gentle way to allow them to learn. You're going to mess up in this life. And uh, it's okay. We all do. But let me tell you something. You can get up. You know how to. And if you don't, I'm next to you to help you. I'm always next to you. But you got this. You can do this. You can do so much more than you think you can. Thanks to our friend Joy, the SavvySauce.com has been completely updated. And if you follow The Savvy Sauce on social media, you're already aware that we launched a new tab on January 1st titled Articles. I hope you check out these new Savvy Snacks, which are articles full of quick tips for intentional living. Check out these articles today or join our email list to have them directly delivered to your inbox. Enjoy! Even in the introduction of your book, I just love this quote that Michael says about you because it is so relatable. He writes, She, like many of us, was hovering, overpraising, giving up her authority, and actually making her children's lives more difficult in the future by making their lives easier now. Yeah. So if that was the past, Kay, how would you describe the changes that occurred in your parenting since you originally came to that realization? You know, my favorite part of that, because even reading that or hearing you say that again, I'm like, whoa, there's stuff I don't love in that. And um, and the word that I really land on is authority, giving up her authority, which that could be taken my authority over my children. But I think actually the authority was that was being given up was God's authority over all of this because I had started to believe that, you know, the grades that they made were going to somehow impact them or the team that they were on or the group that they were in or all the things that we look to to be able to make our kids okay. When we hand them over to these things, we're actually handing them over to the authority of the world's ways. And that more than anything had the greatest impact on our parenting is realizing that the authority is the king of kings, the one who sees all and knows all, the one who has woven within each one of these children because they're his unique gifting and purpose. And he has also given us this amazing ability to love them and to walk alongside them because they're part of us. And so I think that's the biggest change is realizing that the story is a lot bigger than what we can say and that the world's winning ways, they don't win and they don't get to win. And I just love your example. First of all, leading with that humility and 
seeing how far God's brought you, which is really all of our stories of he takes us, you know, when we come as we are and then transforms us, hopefully more and more like Christ every day. But this isn't your story anymore where you're making their lives easier now and then it's difficult in the future. It sounds like you've really flipped that where you put the appropriate amount of pressure on them in the younger years and now you're probably getting to reap some of the benefits. Well, what's interesting is that in the younger years, it sounds like you're putting something on their plate, but the truth is they love it when they're little. Their whole fight is like, I'm big, you know, I can do this. (laughs) And we're like, oh no, no, wait, wait. And so honestly, you're actually like putting fuel in their tank by putting these things on their, on their plate. They love it. It's so good. You know, the hard part comes in the snarky years where they're like, I'm not doing this anymore. And to be able to sit next to them and and genuinely let them work their way through it. And so I think that's been a big part of this. It's been as much of a lesson for me as it has for them and probably more for me. But it goes back to what we said at the beginning. It's not doing something to them. It's doing something for them and for us. And it puts a lot of meat on these bones of like, you can do anything you put your mind to, you know, and um, it's not like you can be anybody you want to be or anything like that. But it helps us to be able to see their purpose and to see their gifting and to be able to equip them to live in that purpose and gifting, which is probably not the same as yours. Um, A lot of it is genetic. But a lot, it's going to be different because it's uniquely theirs. And to be able to equip them to live fully and wholly in this is where you you are actually setting them up for joy in the midst of toil. Well, and now that some of your children have grown and launched, yeah. how do they look back on this experiment? Believe it or not, grateful. Really grateful. And yeah, me too. And so they... um. They really can do this stuff that uh, a lot. they look around and a lot of their friends aren't doing. And it has turned down the volume on needing to learn things that they've already learned, you know, just regular things to be able to function in life. And, and so it allows them to do things. It's like it opens your horizons a bit. And so, and I will say this, and I really want to point this out. I was talking to a friend of mine the other night because If you have a lot of kids, and even if you don't, you really might have something in your life and in their life that is traumatic. And so this becomes a nuanced process with a human being that has experienced trauma. And I don't know, Laura, all the answers of how to do that well, because one of our kids had trauma in their life. And so it's a real fine line. It's like, where am I walking alongside? Where am I stepping in? How do I need to step in? Because I know they can't, like, because the hurt is very loud. And how do we walk through this landscape of hurt? And it could come in the form, you know, you could actually have trauma have happened. You could have a kid with learning differences. You could have a kid that just has sensory issues or anything that makes them different. You can have your child having lived through extreme bullying or or whatever it is in their life. And so there has to be a certain amount of respect given to these things that that have a, a conversation in their thoughts outside of just uh, regular kid stuff. 
And so that brings a nuance into it that honestly, I did not know when we started this because I, I wouldn't have known. Um, but I know now, even walking alongside a young adult going, where where's the nuance? Where's the fine line? Always doing that checking. Because no matter what, these people are in your life forever in the, in the greatest way. And it turns into this very genuine walking alongside, which again is such, such a privilege when you can look back and go, they, they are equipped. They are equipped. And that's what this experiment was about, was about equipping, putting tools in their backpack so they could face things in life and see them as opportunities rather than obstacles. I love that you use that word equipped. I've been reading a little bit in Proverbs this week, and a lot of people are familiar with the Proverbs 31 woman. But I love this amplified version because I think you trained your kids, you helped equip them, and then it seems like the natural progression is with that discipline and training that then they know how to equip themselves or be self-disciplined. And so Proverbs thirty-one seventeen says, she equips herself with strength, spiritual, mental, and physical fitness for her God-given task and makes her arms strong. And I just think this is such a practical example. These 12 things that you focused on that you helped equip your children. And now it sounds like they have this self-discipline and desire to equip themselves with the Lord's help, of course. Yeah, that's that's the key, which really is none of our, that, that's the part, the part where it's the Lord's strength, because there goes the mystery, not by strength, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord, says the Lord. You know, he's saying that. And uh, there comes that mystery part of the unseen that is uh, hard to let go of in your kid's life and also in your own. But it is this beautiful aspect of like, there is an equipping part and all that comes with it, which isn't just learning how to do something. It's the perseverance. It's the, the other centeredness that almost comes with every single task that is woven within it too, which I'm, I'm convinced is for us. It's for us. And how would we ever know it if we didn't do them? And this book was not the end of your writing journey. No. And so where would you direct everyone if they wanted to find or follow you online? Well, you can come to kwyma.com and be bored because I sometimes I write on it and sometimes I don't. I'm just kidding. But I do love Instagram, at kwyma at Instagram. And I would love for anybody to come and just it, life is so much better together always. And I hope if you connect with anything that I do that it will be a together walking alongside because I, I we're on this planet together for a reason. Life is better together. Well, and we will certainly link to those places so people can join together and learn more. And you may know we're called the Savvy Sauce yes. because savvy is synonymous with practical knowledge. And so is my final question for you today, Kay, what is your Savvy Sauce? Well, I have to say that coming out of this project, the cleaning house, the experiment to rid our home of youth entitlement, the savvy sauce that I got really was purpose that every single person is uniquely gifted, like a part of the Lord woven in you that is uniquely yours that he has given you the purpose and gifting. And I just, I love it. I love that for myself because it gives you so much freedom and I love it for my kids because it just, um, it really has become a fun game to be able to say, what is your purpose and gifting and how can we 
practically equip and learn in that giftedness, you know, having to do all the other stuff too, but to really hone in on this purpose that you've got because the joy that comes with it. And I'm so thankful to have seen that through that process. I'm not sure I would have caught it. Well, and Kay, just a few things that I appreciate from today. I think you're so inspiring. I love how this overflow of your sweet relationship with the Lord just comes forth in the way that you parent and your positivity and your enthusiasm and everything that you've shared with us today. I think you've given us a lot of good starting places. And then you've also given us your savvy sauce. You've given us purpose in that, that we know we can do it with the Lord and do it together and that it really is a blessing in parenting. So thank you for being my guest today. Well, thank you for having me. It's a real pleasure. One more thing before you go. Have you heard the term gospel before? It simply means good news, and I want to share the best news with you. But it starts with the bad news. Every single one of us were born sinners, and God is perfect and holy, so he cannot be in the presence of sin. Therefore, we're separated from him. This means there's absolutely no chance we can make it to heaven on our own. So for you and for me, it means we deserve death and we can never pay back the sacrifice we owe to be saved. We need a savior. But God loved us so much, he made a way for his only son to willingly die in our place as the perfect substitute. This gives us hope of life forever in right relationship with him. That is good news. Jesus lived the perfect life we could never live and died in our place for our sin. This was God's plan to make a way to reconcile with us so that God can look at us and see Jesus. We can be covered and justified through the work Jesus finished if we choose to receive what he has done for us. Romans 10.9 says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So would you pray with me now? Heavenly Father, thank you for sending Jesus to take our place. I pray someone today, right now, is touched and chooses to turn their life over to you. Will you clearly guide them and help them take their next step in faith to declare you as Lord of their life? We trust you to work and change the lives now for eternity. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. If you prayed that prayer, you are declaring him for me, so me for him. You get the opportunity to live your life for him. At this podcast, we are called Savvy for a reason. We want to give you practical tools to implement the knowledge you have learned. So you're ready to get started? First, tell someone, say it out loud, get a Bible. The first day I made this decision, my parents took me to Barnes & Noble to get the Quest NIV Bible, and I love it. Start by reading the book of John. Get connected locally, which basically means just tell someone who is part of the church in your community that you made a decision to follow Christ. I'm assuming they will be thrilled to talk with you about further steps, such as going to church and getting connected to other believers to encourage you. We want to celebrate with you too, so feel free to leave a comment for us if you made a decision for Christ. We also have show notes included where you can read scripture that describes this process. Finally, be encouraged. Luke 15.10 says, In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. The heavens are praising with you for your decision today. 
If you've already received this good news, I pray that you have someone else to share it with today. You are loved, and I look forward to meeting you here next time.